0: Amen. Stay standing. Stay standing. We're going to read God's word together. So just stay standing. We're going to read in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. And our text is verses 1 through 9. So just read with me and let's listen to God's word together. Starting in verse 1 Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true... Father, thank you for an incredible text of scripture. Thank you for great singing. Thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. Lord, we are so in need of you. And yes, we will lift you high in the darkest valley. Yes, we will bless your name not because our circumstances are perfect, but because Jesus, you are on the throne of heaven. And that gives our hearts great joy this morning. And Lord, our trust is in you. So Holy Spirit, would you come and use your word that we just read to penetrate the hearts and souls and minds of every person here. Lord, would you lead people who are not yet Christians Would you lead them to Jesus this morning? And Lord, would you build up those who are saints of Christ? And we ask that you do all this for your own glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So good morning, good morning, church. Great to see you, great to see you. We love every face that is here, and we're so thankful that you are here with us this morning. So 8.30 was... um, just super awesome like everybody's excited to be back at 8 30 um we even had some Southside shenanigans going on at 8 30 we had a truck trying to get out of our like an 18 wheeler trying to get out of our parking lot and and it got stuck um catching the 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 power line on the entry like five minutes before service of course because when else would that happen and so people are like, you know, we're scrambling, we're trying to get everybody in. And then all of a sudden, like, I look out and I'm just looking at this scene of this truck with the things and then people are, people have like, um, you know, brushes and they're pushing up the, the, the things above the truck so the bed can get underneath. And I'm like, this is such a south side scene right now. This is crazy on a Sunday morning. Oh, but it gets better. It gets better. So I'm, I'm sitting here watching all this happen and then there's some dude freestyling on a four-wheeler on the opposite side of the road, just going up and down on the hills. And I'm like, this now encapsulates the perfect Southside scene right here. This is it. I should have recorded it, dude. I didn't. So um, anyway, God is good. God is good. We, we, had a, we had an awesome, awesome 830 service. Philippians 4 in your Bibles. Philippians 4. And I just wanted to give you a little bit of background as we dive into the Word of God this morning. Uh, We are very thankful that every one of you is here. Philippi. Some of you might not know a lot about Philippi, this city that, that Paul is writing to. But Philippi was a major town of commerce in Macedonia. So this would have been a very... Awesome um, town, lots of movement, lots of economy, lots of markets, lots of great things going on. And Philippi was a major Greek-Roman military town. So you have a lot of retired Roman soldiers who hang out in Philippi. And so it was a very military-driven place, had wealth, it had economy, it had a lot of good things going on for it. And so Paul loved this church. And I'm not sure all the connections between Paul and Philippi, but he loved this church. And this church loved Paul back. And that's the beauty of this relationship. Paul's theme over and over again in this letter is joy, joy, real joy. And that's really where we're going over and over again. Verse four of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always, And again, I will say, rejoice. So nice that he had to say it twice, amen? You got to rejoice. Oh, and by the way, if you didn't hear me the first time, rejoice in the Lord. And then my sermon title this morning is this, Keys to a Joyful Life. I brought my keys here, so I'm using my keys as a little sermon illustration. Here's the keys, right? Paul is going to give you three keys. To real joy, right? Keys are really important, right? Can I get an amen, a witness? Keys are super important. Becoming less and less as we get more digital, but keys are still really important. If you have the right keys to the right rooms, you're happy in life, right? If you don't have a key that you really need, it feels like you are in prison. It feels like you can't go anywhere. And so the keys that Paul is going to give us, the Word of God is going to give us, are the keys to a joyful life. Now, The use of keys, this is a very practical message this morning. And the use of keys by the Apostle Paul is really interesting because it was Paul who was sitting in a Philippian jail, locked with Roman keys, and he couldn't get out of it in Acts 16. And some of you remember what happened in Acts 16 there was an earthquake. And do you remember the earthquake was so violent that it it opened up all the jail cell doors. So the keys were not even needed. Paul saw the cell open up and the Philippian jailer runs in and he's going to kill himself because he's worried that everybody's going to run. And Paul is looking at this jail cell that's opened without keys. And he said, don't worry, we're not going anywhere And then he shares the gospel with that Philippian jailer, leads him and his family to Christ, and then the Philippian church is really born, which is an amazing thing. So we are going to be looking at keys to a joyful life. Here's a question. What are the keys to a joyful life? If I were to ask you what your answers are, what would you tell me? What would you tell me? Here's the keys to a joyful life life. Ultimately, a Christian is going to say the key to a joyful life is Jesus. Amen. Right? Amen. So Jesus is the answer Sunday school answer, right? God, Jesus, the Bible that always gets you through. But if I were to ask you how do you know what the keys are for a truly joyful life? I mean the true joy, not the fakey stuff, which by the way, practical note, people know if you're really joyful or not. All right, for some of you, I'm ruining your day, but like we can tell, okay? Like people know if you're a joyful person or if you're not. So let's just put the posturing aside a little bit. Let's just not try to fool everybody. People genuinely know probably what's going on with you. You're not fooling anybody. They're just probably too nice to tell you, right, whether you're joyful or not. But I just want to tell you right now, Let's just pull the facade off. People know if you're truly joyful in your life or not. Okay? Now, what's the keys to joy? Well, here's, here's the reality. We're going to get to it. Like the word of God's going to show us what the keys are to joy. And, and joy in Jesus is commanded by Paul in, in four, verse 4. And it's not optional for Christians. If you think joy is an option for you, not a necessity for you as a Christian, you are wrong. Joy is essential for a Christian. Now, we have enemies to joy, do we not? All right. The devil does not want you joyful. Did you know that? Can I get a witness? He does not want you joyful. He wants you in the self-misery pool of sin. That's where he wants you The world does not want you joyful in Jesus either. This whole world system is is created and is manipulated in such a way that it is here to make you not joyful. So everything that you think is going to give you joy in this world, you're like, oh, this vacation, this thing, this money, this stuff, these these things that the world can give me. I just got news for you. It doesn't want you joyful. All right. It wants you in debt. Can I get an amen? All right. That's what that's about. And And then here's the reality. Your own flesh Your own self, your own flesh doesn't want you joyful. There is a part of you that is just selfish and sinful and wrong. And it's that part of your sin nature that doesn't want your soul to be joyful. So oftentimes you hijack your own joy by you. Does that make sense? It's crazy. Like like we think we're going to make ourselves happy with some of our decisions, but it is those very decisions that are selfishly motivated. We turn in on ourselves and our own flesh doesn't want us joyful. So we have a three-pronged enemy, the world, the flesh, and the devil. They all want to steal your joy from you. But the big idea in this passage this morning... Is that the word of God is calling you and I to stand strong in Jesus? Verse one stand firm in the Lord with holding the keys of joy in our hand. Amen? Christian, God wants you to stand firm in the Lord with the keys of joy in your hand. Now, what are those keys? Let's get to it. All right, the keys to joy are these, these realities of, of getting out of dark rooms. All right, many of you feel like right now you want this joy, you want to know what the keys are, but you you feel like you don't have the keys right now. Which means you feel like you're in a prison room, like a dark one. Some of you are feeling that this morning. You feel like you're in this dark room, it's 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 really really depressing. It's really really tight, it's, it's dark and and depressing and hard and Maybe it's discouragement, anxiety, soured friendships, maybe a bitter attitude in your heart, and you feel like, I got to get out of here because this room is going to kill me, and, and here comes God's word to give you the keys, right? It's like the escape room, but not cool, okay? <laughs> like so, Many of you have been in an escape room before, and you pay all this money to get out of the room, you get locked, you, paid, you, you, get, you pay money to get locked in a room, yes, it's super fun, you got to find your way out, right? This is like an escape room, but not fun at all, not fun at all. And here comes God's word. He said, here's the keys. All right, let's look at the keys. Key number one is right relationships. If you want the first key to real joy in your life, it's right relationships. And this is in verse two and three. Verse two, I entreat Yodia, and I entreat Synthaki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who've labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose name are in the book of life. Now, all of us this morning would agree that having right relationships with other people, specifically other believers, is a huge component of being joyful. Can I get an amen? Right relationships, specifically with other Christians... Being good, that is a massive key to your life being joyful. Now, Paul is addressing that here in verse 2. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat synthiki. So the word entreat there, it means to call to one side, or to admonish, or to beg or to entreat. So this is a very tender word from Paul. I, I beg that Yodia. And I beg that Synthache, you guys just get along. I, I'm pleading for it. I want you to get along in the church. Now, who were these women? Yodia and Synthache. These were two prominent ladies in the church of Philippi. They are um, identified by Paul as gospel workers. Do you see that in verse 3? They have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. So these ladies are big deals. These ladies are movers and shakers for Jesus. They're ministry leaders, and they're they're having a problem. They're not getting along. They have differing opinions about things. So when these ladies are not getting along, the whole church feels awkward about it. Can I get a witness? Right? You got two ladies, leaders, they're not getting along. It's awkward for everybody else. It's hard for everybody else because they're Lack of agreement has a trickle-down effect to everybody else. Now, why are they arguing? Why are they arguing? Well, my wife had a really funny insight last night to this, so I included it in the sermon. She said, I think they're fighting because they're fighting over whose name is worse. (laughs) You know, it's like, well, listen here, Yodia kind of name is that, you know? And then like, hey, you watch yourself, Synthaki. You watch yourself. I'll come right over here and straighten you out, girlfriend. It's just weird to us. Yodia and Synthaki, what a terrible names. But <laughs> apologies to all Yodias out there, right? But we digress, right? We, we don't know why they were arguing, but they were arguing. And Paul says, I want you to agree in the Lord, And to agree there, that word means to think or to understand or have an opinion. So Paul is saying, ladies, you have differing opinions about something, and I want you to have an agreement of opinion. Now, what were they arguing over? We don't know. The Bible is silent. We have no idea. Paul does not address it in the rest of the letter to the Philippians, so we can assume that it was not a primary issue. It's probably a secondary issue which is almost all Christian disagreement. Can I get a witness in the church? Almost all disagreement amongst believers is over secondary issues. Very few of these disagreements with Yodi and Syntyche were over the deity of Christ. They probably agreed Jesus was God. They probably agreed about the cross. They probably agreed about the resurrection from the dead. They probably agreed about baptism. They probably agreed about communion. But it was probably a secondary issue that they didn't see eye to eye about. And they say, well, I disagree with you. And they go, I disagree with you. And all of a sudden, it's become so disruptive that it's getting into the church. And Paul is saying, look, ladies, I'm just encouraging you to agree with your secondary of importance opinions. Now, he says, help these women, fellow companion. All right? So he's he's... Asking an unnamed person to come in and help these ladies agree. Okay, so this is a biblical counseling sermon. Praise God for our counseling ministry, amen? That's exactly what he's asked. He's like, hey, I want you, biblical counselor, to come and and get these ladies together. That's literally what it, it means in the Greek. Get these two and hold them together in the same room. Get these ladies together in the room so they can talk it out. Who is this person? Who is this true companion that Paul is talking about? Well, it's an ancient Andy Biddle. Amen? That's what it is. And then, I I did it again. It's not ancient. That came out wrong. That came out wrong. It is an ancient example of Andy Biddle. There we go. That's a better way to say it. So, so he's asking his counseling pastor to step in and say, hey, can we, can we bring these two ladies together and so they can get in right relationship with one another? And praise God for Christians like Andy Biddle, who are currently working in our counseling ministry, all of our counselors at church. Praise God for our counselors. And praise God for our ancient ACBC certified counselors all the way back in the day who are helping relationships get right with each other. Praise God. Now, relationship strain, it happens. Especially amongst Christians, it happens. And some of you might be, what? Relationships go bad even in Christianity? Yes, especially in Christianity, things go bad, right? Like like we, when we preach the gospel... Things happen. People get saved. Lives get changed. And when things happen, there's a lot of favor from God. Praise the Lord. But in a growing, healthy church, there's also a lot of friction that comes with the favor. You're going to get favor and friction at the same time. We need to be walking together in relationship. We need counseling to happen. We need people to get together to discuss their disagreements and hopefully find right relationships so that they can open the keys to joy, right? Now, Paul said that these ladies, their names are in the book of life. Do you see that? Whose names are in the book of life. Notice how Paul highlights the reality that these strained believers, and Synthache, are still Christians going to heaven by the grace of Jesus Christ. Very important to understand when you are having a, a disagreement with another Christian, that you do not demonize the Christian that you are disagreeing with, which is our sinful tendency. When we disagree with someone, sometimes we want to be in the right so much. We want to be in the right seat and be in the correct argumentation. We want to be on the right side of history and all that stuff. Sometimes we demonize the people that we disagree with. Say, you know what? I don't like those people. They probably don't even love Jesus. That person disagrees with me. Probably not even going to heaven. Probably not even Christians, right? And we let our minds go to places that we ought not. And please understand, when you're disagreeing with another Christian, especially about a secondary issue, you need to look them in the eye and remember they're going to be in heaven. These are eternal souls that are workers of the gospel with you. So just because you might be right and they might be wrong, or they might be right and you might be wrong, we're going to share heaven together. So be careful with the judgment. Don't be too harsh on the person that you're trying to reconcile with. Right relationships lead to joy. When we have good relationships with other people, it's like opening the key and to the, to the lock of the room, and all of a sudden, joy is yours. Have you ever read Psalm 133? Consider this verse. How good and pleasant it is. When brothers dwell together in unity. Amen? How good and pleasant it is when we get along with each other. Now, good relationships don't just happen. They take a lot of work. So you're always going to be laboring for relationships. If you've got strained relationships, you're not going to wake up one day with no work, no effort, and all of a sudden be right related to that person. You got to get in front of that person and work it out. All right? That takes time. That takes humility. That takes a spirit that's willing to reconcile with a brother or sister in Christ. It's not just going to happen. You've got to go work to make it happen. Remember the four rules of biblical communication in Ephesians 4. Okay? Keep current. Be honest. Attack the problem, not the person. And act. Don't react. Just remember those things in Ephesians. Good relationships take work. Now, here's the question. This is the key of relationships. How are your relationships this morning with other Christians? Are they strained? Which ones are strained? What's your plan to make them right? Because if you know Jesus and he's made you right with him and you're going to heaven because Christ did the relational work for you to save you and to get you to glory, what are you going to do? He's giving you the keys. What are those relationships right now that you're thinking of that you need to go unlock the door? I would encourage you to go with a spirit of forgiveness, with a spirit of counseling. And isn't this Jesus' prayer for us in John 17? That his followers would be one even as he was one with the Father. So we might be one with one another. The first key to, pray, to, to real joy is right relationships. The key that is number two is this, active prayer. The second key that opens up real joy in your life is active prayer, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul leads by saying, don't be anxious. Don't be troubled with cares. The word, don't be anxious, or the phrase, it literally is that that feeling that you get when you feel the weight of something or someone. Anybody walking with anxiety this morning? Sure. Statistically, over two thirds of this room are struggling right now with fear, worry, and anxiety, like more than just the average bear. So many of you are probably struggling with this anxiety and this word of feeling the weight of a problem or an issue or a person or a just, just something that is troubling your mind and it's weighing on you. The problem is that we all live anxious and troubled lives in that we care about a lot of things. We care about a lot of stuff. And just interview one another. There's all these things we care about. We, we feel burdens about. So what do I do with my anxiety? What am I supposed to do with the anxious care that I feel? Well, go have a conversation with somebody. Go get counseling. Go get therapy. I'm sure there will be several people that would want to medicate and give you more medication and more medication. Those Those are options for you. Maybe go buy some stuff. Maybe get a car and you'll be happy. Maybe go buy a new house. Go for it. Get her done. Get some new shopping done. Get some new clothes. More material possessions. Some people just need to reconnect with family or friends. And all those things you know are just ideas of this world that you know deep down. They feel soft and hollow. So what are we going to do with the worry and the anxiety that we feel? Paul is going to give us the answer. He says it at the end of verse 6. He says, let your requests be made known to God. God's word says that the way for believers to deal with anxiety that they feel is to have an active prayer life. Did you know that it's prayer that could be the answer to some of your anxiety? Amen. An active prayer life might be the one thing you haven't thought of or the one thing you haven't done yet because you're like, no, there's no way. That prayer could actually help me, change me, and lift the weight of the anxiety that I feel. But believers are called and commanded to fight anxiety with the weapon of prayer. How do I get out of the dark room called fear and anxiety and worry? How do I get out of here? Feels like it's a box. Can't get out of. God's word says, Prayer. Try prayer. Why don't you pray to God? Get active in prayer. Now, at the beginning of the year, I challenged you to pray for at least five minutes every day. Do you remember this? Prayer challenge. You got the little cards. You maybe put it on your refrigerator, hopefully. Five minutes a day in prayer. See what God might do this year in your life. How many of you remember that? Yeah. How are you doing? Huh? How are you doing five minutes of prayer? Here's Here's the deal of what I'm assuming I'm assuming many of you are like, whoopsie, pastor, whoopsie, got a little off track this summer, vacations, travel, kids, finances, politics, all the things, you know, I I I got a lot of stuff going in my life. I did really good for a while, but I'm off the bus. Here's the thing, I'm the bus driver, I'm opening the door again, I don't care to condemn you, I just say, hey, get back on the bus of prayer, amen, let's go, let's get back on. We're halfway through the year, get back on, it's okay, and start praying. Start praying to God. Get active with God. What does it mean to pray? It means to open your mouth verbally and talk to God. It means to supplicate and ask him for things. It means to do it with a spirit of thanksgiving. Have you talked to God? That's really the question of prayer. Have you talked to God today? Have you talked to God this week? Did you talk to God on Thursday? If you're going through your weekend, you're not talking to God. You wonder why your anxiety is building up and going to the sky. It's because you're not praying. That's part of the reason. Get in your prayer room and just give God your words and your burdens and see what God might do. Get back on the prayer bus. Let's go. And then what happens when we pray? It opens the room. It's the key that unlocks the door to real joy in your life. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. The peace of God will guard your heart. If you start praying, the peace of God will guard your heart. The peace of God, the tranquility, the harmony, the safety, the beauty of God's rest. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Did you know this? God... Owns peace. Tis God owns all peace. He has so much peace and harmony and tranquility and joy and rest in his amazing holy presence. God is filled and surrounded with peace all around him. And he'll give it to anyone who prays. Wow. You think 1.1 billion dollars is a lot in a powerball? Yeah? yeah? Some of you played it, right? Some of you like did the thing, you bought the ticket, you got all excited. You know? What will I do with all that money? What's going to happen? Here we go. 1.1 billion dollars. 1.1. That would change my life. That's life-changing stuff. Why is it always Illinois that wins? Anybody else? <laughs> Is it just me? Illinois is winning that stuff all the time. Rigged. Rigged. You think $1.1 billion is a lot of resources? That is minuscule, almost zero, compared to the amount of peace that God has. Surrounding his throne, he has peace, harmony, joy, safety, rest. And he's ready to give it to anyone, anyone who prays and says, God, would you please, here's my request. God says, you know what? From the overflow of my infinite peace, I will give you my peace in your mind and in your heart. God will open the door. And you'll go live a really joyful life because you're praying to God. And God has giving you his peace and you're not worried about all the things you used to be worried about because God has got you. Have you ever had an anxiety attack? You have. I have. You ever had an anxiety attack in the middle of the night, seized with panic, all these thoughts just going on in your brain, anxiety, worry, fear, pray. Pray to God. Give him your burdens. Give him your requests. And the peace of God will what? it will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Not only does God give you his peace, but he guards your heart and your mind and he fends off Satan and the world and your flesh and he fends off everybody else to say, you don't get a chance to touch him or her because they are praying to me and I am giving my peace to them and my peace will guard like a soldier guarding a city. My peace will guard them. Wow. Am I making you excited to pray? I hope so. I want you to go for it this week in prayer. I want you to give yourself to prayer. Just this morning, I read this in my devotions. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, no rain, Iowa, no rain. (laughs) Or I command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people who are called by my name Humble themselves and what? Pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will hear the land. Wow. Second Chronicles 7:13 and 14. Active prayer. Active prayer is the key to get out of the room of anxiety and to get you into the presence of joy and the presence of God. In the presence of Jesus. Consider Jesus in Matthew 6. He said, when you pray in private, and you pray in your prayer closet, what will the Father do? He will reward you. How? Openly. Wow. Pray. Church, get in right relationship, reconcile with other people, and pray like crazy. Because God's ready. He is ready to pour out the fullness of his blessings all over your life through Jesus. If you will pray. The third key to real joy is great thinking. Great thinking. Verses eight and nine. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, here's the phrase right here. Think about these things. Think about them. Paul is saying the third key to joy in your life is great thinking. Really good thinking in your mind. Think about these things. And the phrase think about these things means to reckon or to count up or to weigh the the, the, uh, reasons or to gather. In my own personal way, I say, get your brain to hang out with truth. Okay? Get your brain to hang out and meditate on truth. Okay? So, it's not about shutting off your brains. How many of you got a lot going on in your brain? Yeah, like right now, right? You're thinking about 80 things. You're like, yeah, the sermon is one of 50 things I'm thinking about, Pastor, right now. So, I'm giving you my best attention, but. I got 80 other things going on. What do you expect me to do? I got all this stuff going on in my brain. This is my brain right here. I can't sleep at night because my brain's going like this. You know, so I just watch TV or I do my thing or, I, you know, I do my stuff. I can't sleep all day. I can't. I, I'm just going all the time. What's the answer, right? Well, if you're Buddhist, it's shut your brain off into nothingness. Yeah, right. Are you kidding me? The answer is not Buddhism. Nothingness. Just get to nirvana. Are you joking me? They're a great 90s band, but there's nothing else going on with them. (laughs) Because you know, right? You know. I know. You can't shut your brain off. Christianity never says anything foolish like shut your brain off or find nothingness. Christianity says you got an active brain? Take your active brain to God Almighty. And let him shape your brain. Now, what do we think about? We have hopes. Our hopes. We think about our hopes, our dreams, our future. We think about our careers. We think about our kids. We think about our grandkids. We think about our culture. What's going on in our culture? We think about our sicknesses, who's sick, who's not, who's got cancer, who's in the hospital. We think about our accomplishments. We think about our technology. We think about our hurts, our sins. We think about all those missed golf putts. Over and over and over. And a million other things, right? A million other things we think about. And because of sin and the curse of sin, we naturally think about selfish and negative things. Because we are cursed by sin, we think about selfish things. Me, 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 me. And negative things. Bad, 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 bad. That's what we think about all the time. By nature, that's how we think in our brains. And Paul says this. So vital that you think different, Philippian church. Think different. Whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is. He lists eight virtues. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Whatever that stuff is, think about that stuff right now. Get it in your brain. Here's the opposite of that list. Untrue, gross, unfair, dirty... Ugly, nasty, horrible, critical. You tell me which list you naturally gravitate towards, right? It's the untrue, gross, unfair, dirty, nasty, ugly, horrible, critical. That's what we love in our sin nature. But Jesus has saved us and He opens a whole new world. He gives us keys to a whole new world. And He says, think differently. Think differently than your nature. Think differently through what Christ has done inside of you, the Holy Spirit of God inside you. Think about true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise things. Any of those things. Think about that. That's awesome. Here's the question you might have, right? Because we're going to close with this. You might be asking, how in the world am I supposed to do that, Josh? How am I supposed to think about good, commendable, lovely, wonderful things? Do you not live in the world that I live in, Pastor Daggett? Do you, are you that untethered from the world as it is? Do you not get it? Like the untrue, gross, unfair, dirty, ugly, nasty, horrible, critical stuff. That comes to me all the time. And then I have a phone that speed delivers nasty stuff into my mind all the time as if I even needed any help. You go on Twitter for five minutes and you see the cesspool of humanity. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Yeah, just roll on down, bro. Let's go. Come on. Roll with me here. All right. Go on Facebook. Within the first three minutes of Facebook or social media, you feel terrible about yourself or angry at other people for what they have and you don't have or whatever, right? Think about this. This is the nasty that attacks our brains every day. And you're like, how am I supposed to think about that that list of virtues? What in the world is Paul talking about here? And I would just say, here's how you do it. Here's the key. to Unlock the room of bad thinking. God wrote a really big book. Amen? (laughs) And this book is filled with promises from a good God who created you, knows you, and in this book is truth. In this book is life. In this book is everything about Jesus, who is everything that you need him to be for you as a savior and as a king. And so what we need to do is get our nose in this book. Can I get a witness, right? You want good thinking in your life? Get your nose in the book. Get your nose in here. You got to read. I mean, you just got to read. You have to read. Dudes, men, can you, are you listening to me? Like, I've heard it from so many of you. Yeah, pastor, I don't really read. God wrote a book. Read the book. How else are you going to get good thinking in your mind? Stop making excuses for yourself about this, that, and the other thing. Read the book, man. Read the book. Ladies, you're awesome. Keep reading. (laughs) Keep reading. If you're going to dwell on good things, dwell on Jesus. And, hey, and any evidences of grace you see in somebody else's life, jump on it with encouragement. Jump on it. If you see Jesus save somebody, encourage them. Hug them. Tell them that they are loved by God. You see somebody get baptized, get excited for them, encourage them. Parents, I know you're raising kids so you're seeing a bunch of sin all the time in yourself and in your kids and you see a lot of evil and a lot of stupidity and a lot of foolishness and a lot of this stuff, but if you see one good thing, jump on it. Encourage that evidence of grace. Why? Because this is where we are to dwell. We are to dwell with God and His Word. So, I'll finish with Psalm 1, and then we'll close. Brandon, you can come up here. Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat with scoffers. But instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he, here it comes, meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which produces fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does, he prospers. Church, love the book. Love the word of God and your mind will be transformed and you'll unlock the door and to real joy. So as we close, there's, there's only really three ways, right? There's three keys to unlock real joy in your life. Right relationships, an active prayer life, and great thinking. Where are you at? One of those should connect with you. Maybe all three do. Repent, get right, confess Jesus. Some of you need to be saved, get saved. Trust in Jesus for the first time. Wherever you're at, Let's respond by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time in the word. So good, so good to be in your word. And oh God, we need you so much. We want real joy in our lives. We want it so bad. So Lord, help us to take the steps to make relationships right. If there's some strained relationships this morning, Lord, help us to humble ourselves and go to that person and be reconciled. Lord, for some, it's a call to prayer, I haven't been praying for a while. Lord, would you move us to pray actively? And oh, may you pour your peace upon us. And may you guard us. And oh, God, would you put our brains in a place where we have good thinking. Lord, help us exchange our stinking thinking for your good grace and your good thinking and your good truth. And oh God, may you put us on a different direction, a different path. Help us to respond to you now in singing and in worship. In Jesus' name, Amen.